Good morning and welcome to the Product of IT Cybersecurity Daily number 126. It is Friday, May 15, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and let the contact tracing games begin. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right, we made it to another Friday in this self-isolation society. It's a pretty cool name. I like that, self-isolation society. And um, it is the start of, so I'm starting to lose track now, start of week nine in self-isolation. Now they're going to, as of right now, they're going to lift some restrictions beginning next week in Connecticut, the 20th, which would be Wednesday. So it will be interesting to see where we go from there. Um, anyway, in the meantime, wherever you're, wherever you're li- listening to this, if you could like, share, comment, or review, that would be awesome. And um, if you are in a HIPAA compliant business on Facebook, go to the search and type in Get HIPAA Compliance and join that group because there you will learn all kinds of cool HIPAA stuff. And we have some cool information for you today. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about COVID-19, but not in the way you might think. Um, But first, on the Hacker News, improper Microsoft patch for reverse RDP attacks leaves third-party RDP clients vulnerable. Remember the reverse RDP attack wherein a client system vulnerable to a path traversal vulnerability could get compromised when remotely accessing a server over Microsoft's remote desktop protocol? Though Microsoft had patched the vulnerability, which was CVE 2019-0887, meaning it was from last year, in uh, almost a year ago, July 2019 patch Tuesday update, it turns out researchers were able to bypass the patch just by replacing the backward slashes in paths and forward slashes, with forward slashes. Microsoft acknowledged the improper fix and repatched the flaw in its February 2020 patch Tuesday update earlier this year, now tracked to CVE 2020-0655. In the latest report shared with the Hacker News, Checkpoint researcher disclosed that Microsoft addressed the issue by adding a separate workaround in Windows while leaving the root of the bypass issue and API function path CCH canonicalized, unchanged. Apparently, the workaround works fine for built-in RDP client in Windows operating systems, but the patch is not foolproof enough to protect other third-party RDP clients against the same attack that relies on the vulnerable sanitization function developed by Microsoft. We found that not only can an attacker bypass Microsoft's patch, but they can bypass any canonicalization check that was done according to Microsoft's best practices, Checkpoint researcher Eyal Itkin said in a report shared in the Hacker News. For those unaware, path traversal attacks occur when a program that accepts a file as input fails to verify it allowing an attacker to save the file in any chosen location on the target system and thus exposing the contents of the files outside of the root directory of the application. A remote malware-infected computer could take over any client that tries to connect to it. For example, if an IT staff member tried to connect to a remote corporate computer that was infected by malware, the malware would be able to attack the IT staff member's computer as well, the researchers described. The flaw came to light last year, and a subsequent research in August found that it impacted Microsoft's Hyper-V hardware virtualization platform as well. Um, They did include a video of how it works in the article, which again is on thehackernews.com. And um, 
needless to say, that is a concern. Uh, if you've patched, then you're safe for, as far as RDP, Remote Desktop Protocol, which is Microsoft's remote desktop, um, remote desktop software, then you're safe. But um, if you're using a third-party RDP software, then you're, st you're still not safe. And it, ha it makes me wonder if, if some of these um, attacks that occurred through MSPs last year, if they used this vulnerability to do so, um, because a lot of those attacks occurred via RDP, and the assumption was the multi-factor authentication wasn't turned on with their remote desktop software and that um, they were using less than secure methods and not use, using RDP over VPN and so forth. So it makes me wonder if possibly this was the reason it happened. Um, be interesting to see if that comes anything comes of that. Uh, on ZDNet, we have COVID-19 blame for 238% surge in cyber attacks against bank. Shouldn't come as a surprise because I've been telling you for weeks now there's been a huge spike in cyber attacks centered around COVID-19. But here you have an article that says blame for 238% surge in cyber attacks against banks. The coronavirus pandemic has been connected to a 238% surge in cyber attacks against banks. A new research claims on, on Thursday, VMware Carbon Black released the third edition of the Modern Bank Heist Report which says that financial organizations experienced a massive uptick in cyber attack attempts between February and April this year, the same months in which COVID-19 began to spread rapidly across the globe. Cybersecurity firms research, which includes input from 25 um, CIOs at the at major financial institution, adds that 80% of firms surveyed have experienced more cyber attacks over the past 12 months, an increase of 13% year over year. VMware Carbon Black already indicates that close to a third, 27% of all cyber attacks target either banks or the healthcare sector. An interesting point in the report is how there appears to have been an uptick in financially motivated attacks around pinnacles in the news cycle, such as when the U.S. confirmed its first case of COVID-19. In, in total, 82% of chief information officers Contributing to the report said that, the that alongside a spike in attacks, techniques also appear to be improving, including the use of social engineering and more advanced tactics to exploit not only the human factor, but also weak links caused by processes and technologies in use by the supply chain. The use of cryptic and emotet malware families is frequent, as well as obfuse coin miner and tiger with two Gs. Ransomware attacks against the financial sector increased roughly nine times from the beginning of February to the end of April. Those surveyed said the attempts at destruction, not just information theft, are becoming more common. So disrupt the supply chain is also apparently becoming more common attack method. Um, bleeping Computer, we have a report that hacker is a hacker is selling 550 million stolen user records on hacking form. The threat actor is selling 20... 29 databases on a hacker form that allegedly contains a combined total of 550 million stolen user records. The actor began selling these databases on May 7th when they posted them on a well-known hacker where hacker form where threat actors can buy each one individually. According to the cyber intelligence firm Cybel, none of these data breaches appear to be new, with the oldest being from 2012 and the latest from the last month. So it doesn't sound like any of them are new. And I have a list here of databases that are on there. I'm not going to 
go through the numbers, but there's a lot of numbers and dates attached to these. And they do go back as far as 2012. No, looks like November of 2012, maybe. And as recent as, looks like this month, April. So we have evite.com, tokopedia.com, piezap.com. That's P-I-Zap, netlog.com, dubsmash.com, shine.com. That's spelled S-H-E-I-N. Photolog.com, that's F-O-T-O-L-O-G.com, CafePress.com, which was February of last year, a little over a year ago. Wanello.com, W-A-N-E-L-O. OMGPop.com, Singles.net, I'm sorry, Singlesnet.com. Bukala Pack, which is B-U-K-A-L-A-P-A-K.com, Bookmate.com, ReverbNation.com, Wego.com, EatStreet.com, PumpUp.com, CoffeeMeetsBagel.com, StoryBird.com, Minube.net, and it's M-I-N-U-B-E.net, Sephora.com, CafeMom.com, Cubic, and it's spelled C-O-U-B-I-C.com, RoadTrippers.com, DailyBooth.com, ClassPass.com, ModaOperandi.com, I don't have any idea what that is, Ren Kanamu, it's R-E-N-C-A-N-A-M-U.id. And then it has, in parentheses, youth, youthmanual.com, streeteasy.com, and yonalja.com. And it's a, Y-A-N-O-L-J-A.com. And all of these are in the millions of people. So these are fair, fairly large sites. Um, if you have an account in any of those sites, you should watch your, your information. Make sure that you um, haven't been breached. If you have questions on how to check that, just let me know. You can email us at support at nuage.tech. It's nwajtech.tech. Or you can message us on Facebook, m.me slash nuagetech, nwajtech. And uh, we will do that for free, of course. Um, so hopefully you're not part of that. But if you are, and, and again, the most recent one was April of 2020. Um, scammers on bleeping computer scammers steal $10 million from Norway state investment fund fraudsters running business email compromise. We've talked about these extensively. I may have said BEC on several occasions. Um, and I believe we even went over how they work on one podcast, but fraudsters running business email compromise scams were able to swindle Norfund, Norway state investment fund out of $10 million. The attackers took their time before pulling the trigger took action to ensure that the theft would be discovered long after they got the money. The scammers got access to the email system, which allows them to monitor communication between Norfund employees and their partners. This also allowed them to figure out who's responsible for money transfers. And something I'm going to add to this here is that a lot of times when someone gains access to your email, a, a bad actor gains access to your email, they will sit in it for a while and just monitor communications. And this is why you should... Um, one of the reasons you should enable multi-factor authentication wherever possible, but also check to see where your account is being accessed from. Most of the leading email service providers will, will allow you to do that. According to Norfund CEO Telef Thorlifson, the scammers spent several months in the system learning the ropes and carefully preparing a robbery. The scammers created a Norfund email address to impersonate an individual authorized to wire large sums of money through DNB that Bank Norfund uses for these operations. They falsified the payment information to divert the transfer to their account in a different country than that 
of the legitimate recipient. It is not uncommon for a parent company to have subsidiaries in other regions of the world. The microfinance institution in Cambodia was supposed to have received a loan of $10 million, but the money was sent to an account in Mexico controlled by fraudsters. A fraudulent wire transfer can be blocked if it is detected in time, but Norfund had no chance at this or at recovering at least some of the money because the attackers took steps to delay the discovery, the discovery of, illegal, of the illegal transfer. The robbery occurred on March 16th, but it came to light more than a month later, on April 30th, when the attackers tried their luck once more. However, this attempt was detected internally and stopped. This much of a delay was caused by an attacker sending an email to the Cambodian beneficiary saying that coronavirus circumstances in Norway could cause a delay in transferring the funds. In an announcement on Wednesday, Norfund said the scam was the result of an advanced data breach. It was wonderfully done, the CEO said at a press conference at Wednesday. on Wednesday, Afton Posten reports. A private equity company, Norfund, is owned by Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It was established by the Parliament in 1997 to support economic growth in countries struggling with poverty. Norfund gets its investment capital from the state budget, and it uses it on companies or through local investment funds in countries in Central America, Southeast Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. On also bleep a computer, new Microsoft 365 sign-in pages already spoofed for phishing, so Microsoft launched new sign-in pages for Microsoft 365, and they've already been seen in the wild for phishing purposes, meaning they're taking the design of the pages and using it to trick users into trying to log in with their credentials on a site that doesn't belong to Microsoft and then stealing your credentials. I would think if you're used to one page and another page pops up, that might might help you hesitate, but I don't know. Um, Naked Security by Sophos. So we're going to talk a, a couple, we have a couple of articles here about the COVID-19 contact tracing um, information that we've been discussing. These are both U.S.-based, but let's start with this one on Naked Security by Sophos. Woman stalked by sandwich server via her COVID-19 contact tracing info. Mayo, mustard, creep, who takes your sandwich order plus the personal details you handed over for contact tracing. That's not what I ordered, said a woman. Oh, this, I'm sorry, they weren't both in the U.S. This is in New Zealand. That's not what I ordered, said a woman in Auckland, New Zealand, whose trip to Subway fast food shop led to a restaurant worker teaching, reaching out to the pester her on Facebook, Instagram Messenger, and via text. As the local news outlet News Hub tells it, the worker has been suspended after the woman, who understandably enough declined to give her name, it was only identified as Jess, complained to the restaurant chain. Jess told News Hub that Subway required her to put her contact details on a contact tracing form so as a, to place her food order. She didn't think anything about it. We all want to stop the spread of the pandemic after all. The form asked her for her name, home address, email address, and phone number, all of which she put down. So, you know, there's the privacy concerns that we, we've addressed. And I don't think that's how they're planning to do it in the U.S., but I don't know. She's feeling pretty uneasy, or I'm sorry, pretty queasy about the subway visit now after the guy who took her order used Jess's contact information to repeatedly and persistently hit her up. I felt pretty gross. He made me feel pretty uncomfortable. He's contacting me. I didn't ask him to do that. I don't want that. I'm lucky that I live with quite a few people because if that was me by myself at home, he knows my address, you know, I'd feel really, really scared. Even now, I feel a bit creeped out and vulnerable. So that is one example of the concerns that many people are raising about privacy. Um, 
again, I don't know that that's the way that the, from from everything I've read, I don't think that's how they plan to do it here in the U.S. It's supposed to be anonymous. So um, hopefully that does not occur here as well. But on threat post, Utah says no to Apple and Google COVID-19 tracing debuts startup app. Healthy Together app uses a raft of location data, including GPS, cell tower, triangulation, and Bluetooth to pinpoint users and ID coronavirus hotspots. The state of Utah has settled on a contact tracing mobile app that collects detailed user location information to track the spread of COVID-19 among citizens, eschewing the API model proposed by Apple and Google in April. The app is called Healthy Together, and it was created by startup called 20 Holdings, best known for making a social app that allows users to see who's around, see who's down, hang out. In other words, the company specializes in enabling physical in-person connections. It's perhaps no surprise that 20's coronavirus app for Utah uses a raft of location data, including GPS, cell tower triangulation, and Bluetooth to pinpoint users. The idea is to provide public health workers with a faster and more accurate picture of where and how the virus is spreading in our community to focus public health efforts according to a notice on Utah's official website. The information collected by the app will be shared with public health officials as expected, as well as limited number of 20 employees. Speaking to CNBC, 20 Chief Strategy Officer Jared Allgood explained how the state would use the data. Jeff and Sarah are two individuals in the example who don't know each other, but they both have the app on their phones. He told the outlet, and so both phones are emitting Bluetooth and GPS signals, Allgood said. Through that data, we can identify whether or not two people have spent some time together. From there, contact tracers can swing into action, making calls and contacting infected and exposed persons, other contacts. So again, that, um, and it goes on to talk more about it. That to me, again, raises privacy red flags. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just seems to me like there's there's too much information, too, too much potential for privacy to be compromised using these apps um and then on top of that this is a third party that's not google or apple you know even google or apple i would be concerned but this is a third party and i think that increases the likelihood that it's not as secure um than an apple or google api would be apis by nature are not secure so again privacy is a big concern when it comes to this uh, contact tracing and then how do we know what they're going to use it for next? It would be my, my other question. I'm all for ending this pandemic any way we can, but I, I have questions. I have concerns about privacy when it comes to these things. So we will continue to talk about this, and I will also talk about it on the weekly podcast. So make sure you listen to that. That will be also uploaded today. So go check it out. And that is going to do it for the Friday edition of the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily. Until Monday, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.